Do you know, I feel in recent days I have become a little dull. Do you ever get a bit bored with yourself? Is there anybody else can be honest enough to say that? You know, I hear myself saying things and I'm, you know, I'm a bit well rehearsed in them now after all these years. But actually, I want them to be so real and so powerful and so present, not some distant memory where I discovered something about God. I want today's bread because yesterday's bread has been great and it satisfied and it changed me and it, it nourished me spiritually. But I want to hear from God today. And I believe that the Lord wants to touch us tonight. I believe he wants to minister to us. We, we sometimes come into a gathering like this, very intentional to minister to him, and that's great. But actually the, the minister here is the Holy Spirit. He comes to minister and to bring life to every part of our existence. Aren't you just grateful that this isn't just a church gathering? This is a divine appointment where the Spirit of God is moving and has already moved evidentially in and around our lives. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Psalm 112 for me, please. We're going to continue our conversation around what it looks like for us to live the blessed life. How many of us would like a blessed life? How many of us have aspired and even perspired trying to gain a blessed life? You know that it doesn't come about by works, don't you? That a blessed life is more about who we are than what we do. And it's important that we do certain things, but actually the starting point has to be our identity as children of the living God. And right at the beginning of Psalm 112, there's a man who has no name. And uh, he has no name for a purpose because actually his life speaks louder than his name. It says there that this was a righteous man. And all of the things that follow in Psalm 112 are the things that he adopted as practices and, and uh, indeed uh, priorities in the way that he lived his life. And we started talking in week one about the key to unlocking our blessed reality in God is that we praise the Lord. We moved beyond that to some other things. And now we're here in verse three and four. Let's read it together as we continue our journey in discovering what it means for us to live the blessed life. In Psalm 112 verses three, it says, abundance, wealth, and riches will be in his house. Is there anybody up for an amen at that point? I know that there are those probably here amongst us tonight who would be more comfortable if that verse said, wealth and riches will be in his heart rather than in his house. But actually, it's true to say that when God begins to touch a person's life, economically, it starts to improve because God has a passion to bless people. Now, it's good to have an internal blessing, but it's also very good to have some external evidences of our internal blessing. I found that God somehow made me middle class over a period of time. I was very ordinary working class, in fact, lower than working class. But over time, through the relationship I have with him, somehow I've become respectable. I mean, how did that happen? I only came out for a loaf of bread. Who knew it would turn into all of that? But when you're in relationship with the God who is full and consistently, vibrantly, abundantly, and overwhelmingly generous towards us, you start to be affected by that kind of generosity. And I know there are some spiritual people amongst us that perhaps that think that real spirituality actually is attached to poverty. But I'd have to disagree with you because I've been poor and there wasn't much spiritual about that. <laughs> 
In fact, there was very little spiritual in that. And I come from the kind of thinking that's prioritized that kind of sense of wanting to deny myself everything, hoping that somehow I would get closer to Jesus. I just denied myself everything and got bitter with God. Or even worse, religious with people. But the verse doesn't say that God doesn't want to bless us in material wealth. It says, abundance, wealth, and riches will be in his house. Now, whether you're uncomfortable with that or you're really up for that, <laughs> that is the heart of God, that you would live a blessed life. And it's not just here in Psalm 112. We find it throughout the course of the Bible. In John 10.10, 10, which will hopefully be on my tombstone. <laughs> it says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But listen to the heart of God when it concerns our lives. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Deuteronomy 1 verse 11 says, may the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised that he will. Someone say amen to that. That's a great promise. Deuteronomy 30 verse 9 says, Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he has rejoiced over your fathers. Shall I keep going with the promises from the scriptures? Are they helpful to us tonight? Just to remind us of the heart of God for us as people. Psalm 92 verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Micah 3 verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Psalm 65 verse 11 says, You have crowned the year with your bounty and your paths drip with fatness. Wow, I love that. That sounds good to me. In 1 Kings 18 verse 41, Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of heavy shower. And that's this abundance of God coming on the earth. And I could go on with scripture after scripture about the heart of God to cause our lives to increase and to allow us the privilege of sharing in his abundance. But it's amazing to me that so many Christians struggle with that. That so many individuals really are uncomfortable with that. I think the problem with that thought process is somehow we have mistaken wealth and greed as the same thing. You see, God does want to prosper you. And the issue really isn't on trial tonight, it's clear from the scriptures that God's heart is for you. He wants to bless you, to prosper you, to give you a hope and to ensure a good future for you. But actually how we respond to that internally will determine whether or not that actually produces in us and through us what God has indeed intended for us. Prosperity is frequently spoke about in the scriptures. The words blessing, wealth, riches, and abundance are consistent throughout its pages. And there is no scripture that I can find that says it's God's will for us to be poor and destitute. In fact, in Psalm 35, verse 27, it says this, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. 
Do you know that it blesses God when you're prospering? It moves God's heart when you're living in abundance. You have an effect on the heart of God. What a profound thought. And you thought it was just your worship that blessed him. But actually, it's the whole of your life. When it starts to come into that place of fullness, it brings a blessing to the heart of God as a father. Think about that for a moment, will you? That God rejoices when you're doing well. Now, the difficulty for me with some of this is that hasn't been my earthly experience with those who were closest to me. And so consequently, I have this inability at times to accept the blessing of God and to enjoy the blessing of God. But you know, the fact that we are saved means that we are highly favored, <laughs> means that we are adopted into the family of God. What kind of a father would withhold blessing when he has so much to give from the children that they need it so desperately? It is a father's good delight to pour out his blessing on his children's life. You know, my daughter doesn't even have to look at me twice and I want to give to her. I don't know what kind of witchcraft that is, but there's something about her that every time she just looks at me in a certain way out, my, my heart begins to enlarge and my wallet begins to open. She has this incredible capacity to draw from me things that I'm not always sure I have the intentionality to give. And I'm just an earthly father and a broken man and an individual working all this out. But can you imagine how much there is in the heart of God in regard to the blessing he wants to pass on to his children? We need to be those who are expectant in this particular aspect of our lives. Now, God's blessing in our lives isn't just about us being blessed. You know, how many of us have found that some people want to hold on to blessing? You know, I know that some people, they're more like a reservoir than they are a river. Every time the Spirit of God moves, they want more. In fact, more, me, me, more, more. Those words are interchangeable. But actually, God blesses you and He allows that part of His nature to become real for you so that you can live and reflect his goodness to the world around you and give what God has given you away. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, don't worry about this. This is something we have to practice because we have been so trained to think about drawing stuff to ourselves that we don't realize the heart of God is to give stuff to other people. You see, God will bless you to the capacity that you're willing to bless others. God will give to you to the capacity that you're able to steward that blessing and offer it to others. In fact, if you look econom economically at some things, you realize that those who are in great wealth are often quite generous people. Even without Christ at the center of their lives, they understand the economy of the kingdom without actually submitting to the king. And lots of these multi-billionaires will give huge amounts of money to all kinds of situations because they know that there is some kind of circular e economic dynamic to this that brings blessing back to their lives. You see, if we understand that we are but vessels that God chooses to use to extend his blessing to other people, then we will never be caught up in the temptation of becoming a reservoir. We will always want to be somebody who's flowing in the purposes of God. His blessing in our lives has others at its focus. I believe that we are hindering the extension of God's kingdom by our lack of capacity to receive his blessing. Let me quantify that to you. 
when I am around people who are truly full of the Holy Spirit, I find that the level lifts in my life of expectancy, hope, and connectivity with the Holy Spirit. Would you say that is true? I have some people in my life, and five minutes with them makes me love Jesus more. I also have some people in my life, and five minutes with them makes me not understand God very well. We all have those categories of people. But what's happened is that they've broken through into a full experience of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are ahead of me in the things of God. Now, I used to be troubled by that and feel competitive about it, but here's what I recognized. That if the table of God's presence has lifted, I now have access as a result of that table lifting into something more than I came in with. So I'm not competitive with people who have a greater revelation of the Holy Spirit's power. I'm actually intrigued as to how to access what it is that they've broken into. They have raised the standard and I get to benefit from that raising of the standard. Now, if that's true in the things of the Holy Spirit, it's also true in the blessings of God. There are people that you will know who are living in the blessing of God, in the fullness of his abundance. And if you spend five minutes with them, you start to get faith. You start to get hope. And when they tell you their stories of how God has blessed them, you start to become very intentional about accessing what the Father has blessed them in. Now, we're not piggybacking somebody else's blessing, but when somebody's blessing has lifted them to a new level, we can access that level through relationship with them. And God intends for the church to be the blessed people on the earth. What do we do when we're fully blessed in that way is we lift the table. We lift the table in our families. So if you're blessed in a family that's poor, you've already opened up something over your family. If you're blessed in a community that's got lacking in hope and you're full of abundance, you're blessing those people just by being in that community. You're lifting the possibilities for everybody in that environment. You see, there's a false humility attached to this process that robs us of the destiny that God has planned for us. If I'm living with a woe is me attitude, then I'll never come into the fullness God has for me. I may think that that looks really spiritual, but actually what true humility looks like is this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. True humility isn't that I'm beating myself and saying how bad I am or I'll never make it. True humility is that the God inside of me can do great things through me. It's moving from self-reliance to God-dependence. I've also noticed this, that when a family is blessed, those who follow them also get blessing. It's almost like the table has been lifted generationally, and now people have access to a greater level of God-connectivity. It is our mandate on the earth to be a blessed people. It is God's passion that you should live in abundance. Now, please don't get me wrong. Abundance isn't all about wealth, but wealth is a part of it. What good is it if you've profited and got the whole world, but your heart is far from God? We'll come to that a little later. Money can't buy you family or good relationships. It can't even get you a good reputation or make you well physically. But don't just, please, please, church, don't underestimate that when God blesses your life, he's blessing you so that he can bless others through you. Whether that's your community, your family, the, the, the line of people who follow after you, or even just this particular environment where you come. If you're in blessing, we get access to share in the blessings. We celebrate with those who are celebrating 
so that we can enjoy the fullness of God in our own lives. Now this psalmist here, he makes a connection between the abundance of God and righteousness. Look again at Psalm 112 verse 3. It says this simply to us. It says, abundance, wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. If I am saying, and I'm saying it quite boldly and maybe quite confidently, that God wants to bless me, if I'm not living in that blessing, I wonder is there a connection between my righteous living or my lack of righteous living and the abundance of God? It seems to me that the psalmist is saying there is that somehow the motives of our heart or the reasons we desire to be blessed actually play a part in the capacity we have for blessing. They either make us attractive to God or even a repellent to, so that God would resist blessing us in our pride and in our arrogance. What does it mean to be righteous? Because if I desire to live in abundance, I need to examine what righteousness looks like. Well, basically put, righteousness needs to be in right standing with God. Now church, I want to suggest to you that if you're born again here tonight, if you're a Christian, you have had a righteousness imparted to you that you couldn't earn by works. It's a gift from God through Jesus Christ to your life. And by faith, we receive that. But you know, it may be imparted to you. It doesn't mean it's done its fullest work in you. There is a righteousness that's progressive as well as positional. So God has made you righteous in Christ Jesus, but He's making you righteous by the renewing of your mind and the work of the Spirit inside of your life. We are all a work in progress. So I can't come to God expecting abundance if my process or my, my progress is hindered because I am not working in step with the Holy Spirit and in alignment with the Word of God. And sometimes we want God's blessing, but we do not want the conditions by the means by which God would choose to bless us. Do you know, sometimes I've watched people and they've wanted God to, to bring financial gain to their life, but actually they're not very good with money. And they don't want the money to bless somebody else or to extend the kingdom. They want the money to pay their debts. Debts that they incurred through bad stewardship. Some people want God to bless them and they don't tithe. They say, Father, you know, I want you to bless my life. And when you bless my life, I'll tithe. And God would say back at you, when you tithe, I'll bless your life. Sometimes we want God to make our business successful, but actually we're not operating with Christian principles. We want God to do something that we're not prepared to do ourselves. You see, our motivation to receive blessing is really key to the amount of blessing that we receive. So what does it mean for us to be righteous? We have been made righteous through Jesus Christ. If you're a born again, spirit-filled believer here tonight, the righteousness of Christ is available to you as a gift from God. You couldn't earn it. You, can't, you cannot get it through works, but actually you have to work it out. God has given you a righteousness that now needs to become the mandate for the way you think and the way you live and the way you operate here in this world. It's not automatic because it's given to you that you're living in its fullness. When I first became a Christian, 
I was all about the process of sanctification. I knew nothing about the position of sanctification. And so when I went to Bible college, they asked me to write a paper about the process of sanctification. You know, my life is such that I have had to kill off quite a number of things. And as I would share that with people, they'd say, we can see that you can do the process of sanctification. God is changing you as you come into partnership and obedience and alignment with his word. That's true. But what I didn't realize is that all that was happening was I was working out all that had been given. I cannot, through human effort alone, become sanctified. I have been positionally sanctified by God himself. My debt has been paid. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't gain it through human effort. But in human effort, I work it out. I don't just sit on it until Christ returns from me. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, with all, all that God has done for me now needs to be worked in me and then worked through me. So I can pray for God to bless me, but if my motivation for blessing is not in keeping with my righteousness in Christ and a process of righteous living, then I'm not so sure that that blessing will ever come to pass. And sometimes I think we think of God in ways and means that actually cause us not to receive from God the blessings that he wants for us. Let me give you an example. So my wife, Jane, came from a Christian family and she went off to Tenerife and um, she got born again uh, on the beach in Tenerife and she came back to our church and, and we started to be friends and it looked like it was going somewhere. Right in the middle of that journey, she says to me, I, I'm not going to ever marry a pastor. <laughs> and I said, that's okay because I'm never going to be a pastor. So we're okay. And, and she said, well, I, I feel I need to go off to YWAM. I need to go and, and get discipled. And so she went off to YWAM. Has anybody heard of YWAM, Youth with a Mission? A discipleship program. She didn't go anywhere glamorous. She went to St. Helens. And if you've ever been to St. Helens, most people who visit St. Helens rarely stop. You just keep going through St. Helens. Okay? But she went to St. Helens and she did a DTS and she did a counseling school. When she went to see her pastor our pastor at the time, to say, you know, pastor, I just would like your blessing. I'm going off to, uh, to, to a discipleship program called YWAM. His first words were, I haven't got any money. <laughs> because there'd been this whole catalog of young people in the church who felt the call of God on their life and believed that the church's reality was to finance it. And she looked at him quite kind of concerned that he would think that what she was there for was that kind of help because she said this to him, Pastor, I have worked every day of my life to ensure that I have all the finance in place so I can go and do this DTS. I haven't come here, Pastor, asking you for money. I've just, I've come to ask you to pray for me. Well, you know, if I had a penny for every young person who came to me over the years thinking that we were going to, you know, finance their ministry experience, well, I'd be a wealthy man myself. There's something about that, though, that needs attention. If we genuinely believe that God is calling us, then we need to work with God to produce what He knows we need and not be looking for a handout. Sometimes you think that kind of prayer is a bit like finding some spiritual lottery ticket. You know, someone's going to come and give you a million pounds and all your problems are going to go away. Can I tell you, church, they will increase a million times. 
Because you haven't done the process. You haven't partnered with God to the point where you have been made ready by God for what God wants to do. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because that was the way she developed as a Christian when she went to YWAM and she stayed on for extra uh, kind of training, God did provide for her in a supernatural way that which she required for the second part of the course. Heart. Are we waiting for God to give us a hand up or a hand out? You see, sometimes I listen to people pray, oh God, just bless me with wealth and riches from on high. And God will say, bless me with obedience, diligence, righteousness and hard work. Oh God, if you could just, you know, just supernaturally bring provision, God would say yes, but could you work with me a little bit? Because actually this is a relationship and we will do this together. Why does God include us in the process? Because God will always train you before you start to reign in a particular area. If you just get the hand out and you don't get the hand up, you're living with a lack of revelation and you will never be able to sustain that kind of increase without God training you and teaching you. So the psalmist makes some connection in his thinking for us between living in abundance and our righteousness. What can be righteous about me always expecting God to do everything for me? What is righteous about that? God gave you a brain. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but I'm sure it's there. Did God say he would bless you or did he say he would bless the works of your hands? Okay, I've met so many people on this journey who want the blessing, but they don't want the conditions for that blessing to be sustained. They want God to do something for them where they're not prepared to do for themselves. Here's another one. I'm just going to throw a bullet out. I may get shot by it myself. How many of us want revival? <laughs> you want a fresh move of the Holy Spirit? How about starting one? How about positioning yourself for one? Do you know, we send people off to university to become a lawyer or a doctor and they will spend up to seven years in training. I wonder what would happen if we took seven years to position ourselves consistently with that kind of intentionality for God to move. You see, we want instant hits from heaven. We want God to break in. Want God to move in power. Do you know God really desires to do all of that? The difficulty is not God withholding something. We are not ready or prepared or in the place where we are able to work with Him. Sometimes I think the church is waiting for God to move and God is waiting for the church to move. I don't find in the scriptures that it says, get a fuzzy feeling where the Holy Spirit gives you a tingle in your spine, then go pray for the sick. I can't find that in the Scriptures. But I do know that what the Scriptures tell us is if we lay hands on the sick, they shall be healed. God works with us. He works with us, not just for us. There are things He will do for us that we can't do for ourselves. Righteousness, forgiveness, all of those things He has done for us. But He works with us. This is a partnership. It's a relationship. 
So never lose sight of the fact that God wants to bless you. He really wants to bless you. But the conditioning of that blessing is sometimes connected to the righteousness of our lives. Our motivations, our understanding of who He is, our sense of investment in the process that will bring about the blessing. All of those things are part of the way and the means by which the Lord wants to bring that blessing to pass. A number of years ago, I went to um, a big revival that was taking place in America and I went reluctantly. I wasn't keen on the personality that was at the head of it. I found his manner a little bit crass. I found his approach to humanity a little bit callous. But I couldn't deny that what I had witnessed was God moving in power. Now, I'd gone through a series of things in my life where about six people in my family all had cancer, one after the other. I lost a young cousin who was 31 years of age. He was diagnosed on, in the middle of June, and by the end of August, he had passed away. That's how quick. Left four children behind. His sister had cancer. She also died. His other sister had cancer. She survived. His other sister had cancer. How many of us don't want to be part of that family? How many of us are now thanking God we're not part of that family? There was something happening in our lives. My mother got cancer. My father got bone cancer. We, we were just surrounded by cancer. And in my brokenness, I was praying to God that he would do something miraculous. God, would you heal people in the church? And every Sunday night, we would pray for the sick. And every Sunday night, very little would happen. But this man on television attracted our attention. And I was willing to go, reluctant in part, but willing to go. And I went out to this meeting and I got nothing from the meeting. I didn't feel anything. I didn't sense anything. I didn't feel blessed. In fact, every prayer line that ever came, I missed it all because he just stopped it just before me. And I came back on the airplane and I said to the Lord, if this is your will that we pray for the sick like this, then I need a sign from you. And on the airplane on the way home, this American guy that was with me who, who gossiped the gospel really well, he, he and I started talking to some of the, this, the air stewardesses and three out of the six of them gave their hearts to Jesus on the airplane. So I had a little bit of confidence that maybe God was had and maybe had deposited something. But you know, we could have sat on the airplane and said nothing. We could have talked about how good the meetings were or not. We could have contemplated our navel for the eight-hour flight. We could have enjoyed in-flight in entertainment. But there was something before us that required from us some kind of activity and participation. So when we got off the airplane, we said goodbye to each other and, and we just wondered what God would do. The following, it was like the very same night, we got had a guest speaker and I prayed. I was told by this guest speaker to pray for somebody and I prayed for someone. And that man's deaf ear of 40 years got dramatically healed. Now, I'm trying to illustrate something to you. I could have sat in my seat as the pastor of the church and ignored the request of the guest speaker. Here's what pastors do. They go into ministry moments 
to avoid being ministered to. Just keeping it real for you. Because we're so used to doing that and not so used necessarily to receiving. But in the meeting, he'd asked us to stand up, this guest speaker, and he said, God's placed um, an authority and a blessing on your life. You are to pray for the sick. Now, I could have made a choice in a moment that would have changed the course of my life. I could have chosen not to do what he asked me to do. I could have chosen to fudge it or fake it. I could have chosen a whole bunch of things. But I'd just been out to a revival. I'd just been in a place where God was working miracles. I'd seen things with my eyes I'd never seen before. And suddenly I'm confronted with a decision. Do I partner with the Holy Spirit? Or do I hope the Holy Spirit will move? So I got up from my chair. I prayed for a man. My life changed in a second. From someone who had never been involved in a miracle to somebody who spent the next eight months of their life in miracles day after day, night after night with hundreds of people affected by one choice to submit to and come into partnership with God so he could heal the sick. And one of the most remarkable miracles was a young lady in one of our meetings had three tumors on her left breast. She'd already had one removed. They were convinced it was cancer and she was about to go in to have a mastectomy and God removed those tumors in the middle of our worship set. She went to the bathroom, she noticed something different and she came back to testify that God had done something miraculous for her. Listen to me, church. God always wants to move. I can't find anything in the scriptures that say that he's resistant to blessing and touching people's lives. Except that our righteousness, our willingness to partner with him, to posture our hearts and to make ourselves available and ready, that actually in many ways in my life has restricted some of the progress that God wanted to make. Is your righteousness tonight up to his capacity to bless you? Is there some room for improvement in your righteousness? Are your motives for blessing questionable? Are they selfish? Are they orphan-mindedness? What is it that's going on under the surface? Because I don't know a man or a woman in this room that doesn't believe that God would like to bless them. So if God would like to bless them and it's his nature to bless and he desires to bless, we have to ask some difficult questions. Why am I not living in blessing therefore? If you came that I should have life and life in all its fullness and it's available to me, then something needs to happen with me, God, so I can access that blessing and I can begin to steward what it is that you want to do in me. Now that night in that meeting, my life changed forever. I will never go back to disbelief regarding the power of God to heal physical bodies. In fact, in a church I was in this morning, we saw a woman whose leg was about three centimeters shorter than the other actually grow, and God brought a healing and a restoration to a back problem and an alignment problem in her life. It's not big stuff, but it's good stuff. But you have to take the step with God to posture your heart and to come into partnership with him so that he can bless you. Our motives are really important. I find when I'm trying to pray for the sick and I'm trying to look impressive, I'm very unimpressive. I find that God tends to resist that. 
You know, when you feel you want to prove something to somebody sometimes, and I, maybe you don't struggle with the same insecurities that I do, but sometimes I've gone to churches and people are sitting there and they've seen everything and heard everything and they've had everything. And then you think, well, who are you? Show us your goods. And I've tried to move in the goods and there's no goods. The cupboards are empty. There's nothing there. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say this, that our motive is always a part of the story that God is painting in our lives. If our righteousness is not up to the desire of God to bless us, then let's improve our righteousness. Let's work with the Holy Spirit to deal with our motives and to come into agreement into a place where God is able to pour out his blessing in our lives. In James 1 verse 11, it says, For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So is the rich man who will fade away in his pursuits. In other words, if your motives aren't right, what you get from God will be temporal. But if your heart is right, what you gain from God will be eternal. Jesus said these words, seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. And as we prioritize God and his kingdom and his extension of that kingdom, it says that all things will be added unto you. When you put the kingdom first, when you put the king first, when you align your heart to the truth of who you are now in Christ Jesus, God begins to move in power in our lives.